Wow, good morning, Joy Church. How are you guys doing today? Good morning. Hopefully you guys are having a great start to your Memorial Day weekend. It is great to be with you. Anybody just excited to be in God's house? Man, what an amazing time. Just in worship, my heart is just bursting with thankfulness and gratefulness. The Lord, all he's done for us. It's a great day to be in God's house. If you don't know who I am, my name is Johnny Schmelzer. I am our youth pastor here at Joy Church Medford. And it's my just privilege and honor to share the word with you this morning. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, you can open up to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. I almost said Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Nope, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you, no problem. We have the cheat screen behind me where you can follow along. If you're new to Joy Church, you've already heard it. But we are so excited and glad that you're here. Hopefully you feel like our guest. We love having you. We hope that you can meet some people and get connected here with us at Joy. But this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 11, we are looking at one of my personal favorite topics um, in the world that we could talk about, and that is the topic of prayer. Now, I don't know if they have a slide for this. I want to give you the big idea. Maybe this morning your mind is already so much in your barbecue or your lake day or your river rafting that I might lose you in your imagination to all your plans for this weekend. And if you only get one idea, if you can remember one thing from today's sermon, do they have it up there? It's the big idea of today's message on prayer, and it's this. It's that you and I are called to be people of prayer individually. Could you say individually? So you and I are called to be men and women of prayer individually, not just us as a people, but me, Johnny Schmelzer, as an individual, or Wendy Acuff as an individual. I almost said Wendy Grogan. But also, we are called to be people of prayer corporately, or later on, we're going to use this phrase, a house of prayer. Maybe this morning, I don't want you to count yourself out. Maybe you're new. Maybe you don't even know Jesus yet, and you go, I don't even understand prayer. I don't know what prayer is. This morning, I want us to dive into God's Word, and we're to explore the who, what, where, when, and why of prayer. Can you follow that? Who, what, where, when, and why that every single one of us, whether you've been praying your whole life and you love prayer, maybe you don't exactly know how to pray or prayer appears confusing to you, or maybe you feel discouraged this morning thinking, man, you know, as I was preparing, I thought, I think a lot of Christians treat prayer like the gym. It's something we know that we should do, and we always feel good when we do it, but we, it's kind of like, oh man, yeah, I should pray, but I don't get there. Or, oh no, I know it's good for me to pray, but there's other more urgent things. I pray this morning that God would get a, heart, a hold of every one of our hearts, and you would leave with a burning heart saying, I'm called to be a man or woman of prayer, and we are called to be a people of prayer. Amen? So if you're in Luke 11 with me, we're going to get into God's Word. We're going to read a few scriptures this morning. Here it goes. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. If you came in this morning, as I opened up talking about prayer, if you said, I don't know how to pray, or I want to learn to pray better, you're in good company, because Jesus' disciples were asking Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. As John taught his disciples, oh no, I'm blowing all my pages over. <laughs> I gotta hold it. As John taught his disciples to pray, and Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, this might be very familiar to you, but let's listen. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus gives three examples of what prayer looks like. Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, 
For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. But I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or because of his shamelessness or his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Here's a second one. Whatever he needs. I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find, and knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. The third one. Why? Because what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Can we pray this morning? Father, I just thank You that You're in this place. That God, even as we gather to think about prayer, God, I thank You that You are already here. As we worshiped You, as we sang to You, Lord, I thank You that Your presence is here. And I pray that You would speak to every single one of us, God, that whether we've prayed our whole lives or whether this is a new concept, Father, I pray that we would behold You in Your Word this morning and we will be changed. That God, we will be transformed. That God, as we look at what does it look like to be people of prayer and what does it look like to be a house of prayer, a community of prayer, Father, would You do a great work in our hearts. Father, in every single one of us, would we leave different than we walked in? Would we not just hear your word, Father, but would we do your word? God, would you do a great work inside of us, a supernatural work? In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. amen. First question, why should we pray? Maybe you didn't ask that question, but I asked it for you. Thank you for asking. Why should we pray? The first reason is very simple, and it probably sounds kind of like a duh, but I really think this is probably the answer above all answers. Why should we pray? Because the Bible commands us to pray, and it is a book filled with prayers. I love this in Colossians 4.2. Here's what Paul writes. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, Paul is speaking to you and I as individuals. Why do we pray? Because God has commanded you and me to be people of prayer. In Romans 12, 12, Paul says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. We see all throughout the New Testament this command to pray. Now, command probably sounds like a harsh word, but it's not a harsh word. It's to be a Christian, it's to be a man or to be a woman of prayer. And the word of God is filled from cover to cover. The people of God have always been a people of prayer. But it's easy to look at that and think, well, that's cool. Like, I go to a church that prays, or I know somebody in my connect group who prays a lot. But the Bible actually commands every single one of us as individuals, God says, devote yourself to prayer. Give yourself to prayer. Be in prayer. And there's, we're going to see some other examples that keeps using this word over and over and over. That's give yourself wholeheartedly. Devote all of your attention, all of your focus. Give yourself to prayer. So number one reason we pray is because God has commanded us to pray and he's given us a book filled with people of prayer. But second to that, why should we pray? We pray to follow the example of Jesus. If you think back to Luke 11 in verse 1, it says, while Jesus was praying, his disciples saw him praying, and here's what moves me. So there's something about the way that Jesus prayed that caused people who had prayed their whole lives and had been involved in praying their whole lives to stop and say, I want that. 
I want to pray the way that he prays. I would give anything. You know, the Bible gives us a small glimpse into Jesus' prayers. I love John chapter 17. It's the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the Bible. We see some of Jesus' short prayers, but Jesus lived this life of prayer, and it caught the attention of his disciples. When they saw him praying, it says, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to pray like you pray. But this wasn't just one time in Luke chapter 11. All throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus lived a life of prayer. Especially in the book of Luke, we see time and time and time again, it would say Jesus would get away from the crowds and he would get away from his disciples. Why? To rest? No. Um, to go watch Netflix or to have some Jesus time? No, he didn't. It says he would get alone so he could devote time to be with the Father, so that he could pray. I love this in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, rising very early in the morning. While it was still dark. That's a good word for some people who don't want to pray in the morning. He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus realized he was totally dependent upon the Father, that his power didn't even come from himself, but it came from God. And because of that, he devoted himself to prayer. And because the apostles were men of prayer, we see that the early church was a church of prayer. They were a people of prayer that devoted themselves to be praying people. When Jesus had, after he had resurrected, he was with them for 40 days and he ascended to be with the Father. He told them, don't go anywhere and don't do anything. I want you to wait. And they had a 10-day prayer meeting devoting themselves to prayer. Who wants to do a 10-day prayer meeting this week? Anybody up for it? Um, you know, there's a few of us that will show up. Some of you are like, I'm not going to come and pray for 10 days straight. But they realized our power does not come from ourselves. We're waiting for the Holy Spirit of God to fill us from the power from on high. So we're going to devote ourselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell, you know what they were doing? It says they were devoting themselves to prayer. When all the new Christians got saved, 3,000 of them in one day, do you know what one of the very first things they did was in Acts chapter 2? Verse 42, it says they were devoting themselves to prayer. But it wasn't just at the start. The story of the early church was a story of a praying people. I love in Acts chapter 4, it says they're being persecuted. Heavy persecution comes. When difficulty in your life or my life comes, what's our first response? The, the early church's first response was to gather together and they cried out to God. They said, God, we need your power. Father, we need you to work signs and wonders and miracles among the people and you need to give us boldness so we can continue to preach the word. There are people living a life devoted to prayer, both individually as individuals, but then corporately as a body. I love in Acts chapter 12, and I want to read the, um, the reference to you. Peter, who was one of the main apostles in the New Testament, he had been thrown into prison. So people had already been murdered and martyred. Uh, there was great persecution coming against the church. And now one of the main leaders had been thrown into prison. So you know what the early church did? They got together and they made an angry Facebook post to share to everybody about Peter. Is that what they did? They made a shareable group or a shareable post in Messenger that says, like and share or you're not going to make it into heaven. <laughs> okay, this is totally off topic, but I just really don't think I'm going to come before the Lord one day. He's like, Johnny, you believed in me, did all these things, but you didn't share that on Facebook, so I'm not letting you in, you know? I'm not trying to judge anybody. Those just crack me up. I'm sorry. I got so distracted. Okay, so when the church was desperate, they didn't complain. They didn't get depressed. It says they got together and hear this. This is so good. It says Peter was kept in prison and the church got depressed. No, 
Peter was in prison, so the church freaked out. No, Peter was in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So when Peter's in jail, what's the church do? Their first response wasn't even what can we do to get him out? Like, I'm thinking prison break from like eight years ago. How do we get in and how do we break him out and how do we get him free? No, their first response was we have to pray. We have to cry out to God because John chapter 15, 4 says, apart from him, we can do nothing. They realize our only power, all we have comes from him. And before all of our effort, our effort is good. And there is effort. There are things that we do. But before any of that, we have to pray. And you know what happened? Because the early church devoted themselves to prayer, they saw God do what only God could do. And literally an angel came and broke Peter out of prison and walked him out and set him free. What would happen if our first response was to pray? You know, I was just in India about two months ago, and between China and India, they lost my luggage. And I've traveled pretty frequently. I've never lost my luggage before. And so I get there, and all I had was the clothes I'd flown to India and my Bible and, like, some snacks. And so I get there, and I'm calling all these different agencies and people in China, and I'm calling all these different people and agencies in India, and I'm calling all these people in America. I mean, it was this big hassle, and, you know, my family's calling and trying to help me, and I'm just, like, doing everything I could do, right? Anybody relate to that? Because I'm American, and I can figure it out myself, and I know the right numbers to call, and my, my dear my dear friend in India, he goes, Brother Johnny, why do you worry so much? Why do you not pray? The Lord knows where your luggage is. He will get it for you. Dude, just pray. Like, and I didn't really do this, but like you're saying all I got to do is pray. He's like, Brother, the Lord knows your luggage is. He will bring the luggage to you. Do not have fear. Just have faith in the Lord. And I'm like, no, dude, like I'm calling. I'm battling the three biggest superpowers of the world, China, India, and Korea, like trying to get my, I mean, China, India, and America, trying to get my luggage. And I had no clothes, so I had to wear my friend's clothes, and we're different size. So I'd be preaching and holding my pants up because my pants were going to fall off. Um, and I'm like, it's easy for you to say just pray when you haven't been wearing the same clothes for like five days straight. Finally, I just said, there's nothing I can do. I've called everybody I can in China. I've called every number I could, they'd ever give me in India. I've called every number they've given me in America, and nothing's working. And I said, Pastor Jagdish, let's pray. And we prayed. And this is kind of the, the longer version, or the shorter version. And when we prayed, that day my luggage came. Okay? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's bad to call. We need to do that. I'm not saying that we don't have any natural. But what, what struck me was, Johnny, why is your first response what you can do? Why wasn't your first response just, Father, help? Father, you know where that luggage is and nobody on planet Earth does. Hell. Okay, then we go and work. But I've, I've been with people in the third world and, and our brothers and sisters in Asia and in different places in South America and their first response is just always to pray. When trouble strikes, they pray. And I, I just can't believe it. They pray so much. And... I was, I was in Cambodia one time. I remember I was asleep, and we were in this village. We are sleeping on concrete, no pillows, no blankets, no showers, no toilets, nothing. It was very remote. And it was just like this farming village. And I remember I woke up, and I looked around the room very early in the morning, and everyone was gone. And I'm like, either I missed the rapture, or they ditched me in this village, or what happened? And I got up, and all these farmers, very poor, people are so poor you could never fathom how poor they are, Every single morning at 4 or 5 a.m., before they'd go and work, they'd gather to pray. And every single evening, they would gather to pray because they realized something. I felt like the world's worst Christian. Like, I slept through the prayer meeting. Every day they'd gather early. They were devoted to prayer. And that's the kind of church we see in the New Testament. 
And last but not least, Jesus has called you and I to be people of prayer and to be a house of prayer. You know, when Jesus came into the temple, he didn't find it like, I guess he knew, but how it should have been. The temple had been turned, there was sin, and he says it actually turned into a den of thieves and robbers. But when Jesus comes in and he cleanses the temple and he turns over the tables and he drives out the money changers, he could have said a lot of things. And I think about why does he use this reference for the house of God? And he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you've turned it into a den of thieves, into a den of robbers. Jesus has a desire for us. He's called us. He taught us to pray, which we'll see in a minute. But you have to hear this morning the voice that calls you to be a man or woman of prayer. It's not me. It's not anyone in this church. It's our Lord Jesus himself saying, I desire that my house, you know, this, the, the walls can't pray. The floor can't pray. The house of God is us when we gather together. And he says, my desire, my prayer is that we would be a house of prayer for all nations. Amen. So why should we pray? We pray because the word of God commands us to pray. We pray because Jesus was a man of prayer. The apostles were men of prayer. The early church was a people in a house of prayer. And because our Lord has called us to be people of prayer. But what do we pray? Now, I wish we could go longer because this is so good. There's so much here, but we don't have time. Maybe another message will get into the nitty gritty of what we pray. But Jesus in Luke chapter 11, when his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, okay, pray then like this. And you're familiar with this, I'm guessing. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but I've heard some people say we should probably call it the Believer's Prayer instead because this wasn't a prayer for Jesus to pray and us to look at and say, wow, he did a really great prayer. Jesus said, here's an example, here's a template, here's a model prayer for you as believers to pray. Does that make sense? So he started with one word, and he says, Father. Now, we've heard the Lord's Prayer so often. You've probably read it on bumper stickers, and it's probably crocheted on your grandma's wall or fridge. Um, we hear, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it sounds so normal. It's lost its power. But to these first century Jewish believers, the fact that Jesus would come and address God as Father would have been so mind-blowing to them. It would have been so different because you couldn't come before Yahweh. You couldn't come before the God of gods, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God, as Isaiah says, who created the stars and made them one by one and calls them each by name. Like, you can't come before that God and say, Father, right? It was unthinkable that anyone could do that. But Jesus is starting something. He's establishing something that when you pray, this relationship that you have, it's not just, well, there's this really powerful guy up in the sky, and then there's you, but you're coming before your Father in heaven. You know, I think about the way that Muslims pray. I'm not sure if you've heard about Muslim prayer or seen it, but they memorize these, these prayers that they pray five times a day, the majority of them in a language they don't even understand, and prayer is just this rote thing. They just go through the words five times a day, and there's, there's no meaning. There's no power behind it. And Jesus says, I don't want that. I don't want you to pray like the world prays. I don't want you to pray like the pagans pray. I don't want you to think if you say enough words or if you do enough good things, you're going to get my attention. You are coming before your Father who loves you and who cares for you and every request you're gonna make to him, remember, he's your father. And then he says, pray for his glory. Remember what kind of father you have. That so we don't come before God lightly, we come with awe and with ever reverence, knowing that yes, he's my father who loves me deeply, but he is all powerful. And he is more holy than I could ever imagine. Even beholding his face, if I got one glimpse of God's face, I would be gone. 
that we have a holy God. And the first thing we cry out for is we cry out for the glory of God. And I love the Lord's Prayer because it's, it's like taking glasses that is the way Jesus sees the world, not the way we see the world. Sometimes the, thing that, the things that matter to us are not the things that matter to Jesus. Sometimes the things we pray for and the things we cry out for on earth, they're not the things that really matter in heaven or that really matter in eternity. And in the Lord's Prayer, it's recalibrating us. Okay, here's how you pray. Here's what really matters in the kingdom of God. Here's what really matters to the Father. Here's what really matters to Jesus. And it starts with the glory of God. That our prayers, every prayer we pray, in some way or another should resound to the glory of God. The word talks about whatever we do, eating or drinking, do all to the glory of God. Every prayer we pray, the most simple prayer to the largest prayer, should resound saying, God, let your name be hallowed. God, let your name be honored. God, let your name be glorified. We pray that God would be glorified, and we pray for his kingdom, your kingdom come. Now, many of us are familiar with the, the version in Matthew, which is a bit longer. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the lens to which we pray. Every prayer we pray should come out of God, that you would be glorified, and that your kingdom would come through me. Every prayer. You think about Jesus in that garden. As he's sweating drops of blood, his prayer is, Father, at the end of the day, not my will, but yours be done. Every prayer we pray. But lest you think, well, that, that's great, Johnny. Those are big, glorious prayers that God doesn't, pray, doesn't care for me. No, God cares about the most minute details of your life. Because next to the glory of God and the kingdom of God, the next phrase seems so small, but Jesus loves us so deeply. He says, and then you pray, give us today our daily bread. That Father in heaven cares so deeply about you that you pray for his kingdom to come all over the world, but then you pray that he would provide for your basic needs. I want to encourage you this morning, there's no prayer too small to pray to God. Maybe this morning you walked in and you have real need. Maybe you say, man, our our family doesn't even have money for food this week. You cry out to your Father in heaven. He hears your prayer. He loves you. He cares for you. And he wants to provide for you. I think we've all had those moments when we pray something very small. And in the back of our mind, we think, God can't care about that, right? It's way too small. But Jesus says, no, he cares for our needs, specifically so that we could bring about God's glory on earth, specifically so that we could see his kingdom come. And as we do that, he provides for us with our daily bread. We pray for his grace. Forgive us of our sins, Father. Every one of us needs grace daily from our sin. And then we pray that he would help us to show his grace. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Anybody ever struggle forgiving people? I do. Part of our daily prayers, Father, provide for me. Father, I need grace from you. Father, help me to show grace to others. And then, Father, help me to follow your lead. Lead us not into temptation. This is what Jesus calls us to pray for. But here's what I love. He doesn't leave it here. I think if we left it here, prayer would feel impersonal. I think it would feel rigid. I think it would feel kind of distant. But Jesus gave us three ways that we come to God. So we saw why we pray. We just looked at a brief glimpse of what we pray for. But then we come to how are you and I meant to pray. The first story I love is about three friends. One friend comes to his other friend's house at midnight. And he says, hey, I'm here to stay the night. He was most likely a traveler. And this is very different for us in our culture. Typically, we don't have people knocking on our doors at midnight. Maybe you do. Um, but I don't typically have friends like, hey, could you feed me at midnight? But when he'd come, he wanted to stay. And in their culture, it would be very shameful if you didn't welcome a guest and provide for their daily needs. And so this friend goes, oh, man, 
yes, come, you're welcome in my house, but I don't have anything, I don't have any food to give you, so what does his friend do? He's a bold guy. I love this guy. It says he goes to another one of his friend's house, and he goes, I don't have any bread, but I'm sure that my friend over there, he's going to have bread to feed you. So he goes at midnight, and he knocks on the door, and he goes, excuse me, I have a guest, and I need to feed this guest. Um, you got to give me some food. But back in their day, houses looked a lot different than ours. They typically were a one-room kind of house, hut, shack, I don't know what you want to call it, and everyone would have shared the same bed. So this guy has a family. He has a wife and he has children. And so he yells back, dude, you're going to wake up my kids. Be quiet. Stop knocking on the door. Because imagine he has the newborn baby and then his wife and the toddler and him and the teenager. Everybody's in this bed together. And he goes, no, 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 leave me alone. Like, you do not want to see my wife tomorrow. If you wake up the babies at midnight, you are going to be so dead, man. Leave us alone. But the Bible uses this funny word. In the ESV, what we read, it says impudence. Some say persistence. Um, But the literal, literal translation is shameless. Somebody that literally has no shame. Says he keeps on knocking and said, dude, you don't understand. You got to give me bread. Like My friend is here. He's hungry. Give me bread. And it says this. It says, because the man in bed. He's not going to get up because he loves the guy. He would have turned him away. He wanted to turn him away. But because that guy was so shameless, and because that guy was so persistent, it says he will get up and give him bread. Now, what's the point? God is so grumpy in heaven that we have to bang on heaven's door until he finally answers? No. God is saying, you guys get this on earth. If you come with persistence, if you come with shamelessness, you will get what you desire. How much more your Father in heaven who loves you How much more your Father in heaven who cares for you. I want to encourage you this morning that you would come before your Father in prayer. We looked over why. We looked over what. But now how? That you would come with persistence and with boldness. That you would come shamelessly. Like the way that we pray before our God. It should look just so like, who are you to ask that kind of stuff? Like, little you, why can you ask that? You know, I think about this. Maybe you have a need in your life. You know, I was just two months ago in the hospital with the collapsed lung. And I remember laying in that bed, and you could have thought, well, Father, you're really busy. Like, I know you're holding the universes and the galaxies together. And I know that you're keeping 8 billion people alive on this planet. And I know you're keeping uh, North Korea at bay so they don't blow the rest of us up. And like, I know you got a lot of big things, so little old me won't, won't bother you. Is that how we're supposed to pray? It looks shameless to say, Father, like I know there's 8 billion people on this planet, but I need you to heal me. Father, I know that you're keeping the universe together and like I should not be able to come before you. It looks shameless. Like who are you and I to come before God? Like the God of heaven and earth. The God who speaks a word and all the stars come into place. The God who speaks a word and dead people come back to life. Who are we to come before him and ask him anything? But this is why Jesus says, come shamelessly, come persistently, come and ask whatever you need. I want to urge you, church, pray some bold prayers. You got to pray prayers that scare you. If your prayers don't scare you, they're not big enough. I don't mean that like to be rude, but I'm saying for me, I remember I was jogging. I love to run. I was running around North Melbourne High School. I remember I was running, I was just praying. I'm the youth pastor at the church, so I love the youth. We see every single Wednesday night students saved. It's really amazing. Every single Wednesday night youth group, new students come from the public schools and they give their lives to Jesus. It's incredible. So I was running, and any time I run by one of the Medford schools or any school, I pray. I just pray, God, 
You know, give us students from that, from that school. We want to see them come to know you. And I was running by this school, and I thought I was praying a good prayer. I prayed, and I just, you know, I'm running, and I say, Father, you know, I just pray for a tithe of that school. If there's 2,000 students, I want to see 200 come to be in our church. And I thought that was a pretty good prayer. Anybody think that's a pretty good prayer? I thought I was being bold. So I'm saying, God, give me 10%. You give me a tithe of that school. And I just felt in a second, I felt the Lord to say, Johnny, why are you asking that 90% would go to hell? I stopped in my heart, but I kept running in my body. <laughs> I remember saying, Lord, why do I have such little faith? Like, if he really is the King of kings and Lord of lords, if he's the supernatural God, the God who can do anything, why do I look at a school and I limit God by my own lack of faith? And I want to encourage you, like, I, so here's I said, God, no, God, give me every single student on that school. And I prayed this. I said, Jesus, I want to see every student at North High School come to know you. I want to see every student at South High School come to know you. I want to see every kid at McLaughlin and Scenic and at Hedrick, every school. I want every single one of them. You say that's a big prayer, but I serve a big God. I want to encourage you. Pray some shameless, bold prayers that scare you. Amen? Last thing I'll say on that is new Christians do this best. I love when a new Christian gets saved because they come into a prayer meeting, they start to pray, and they say, Jesus, I just pray that you'll save the whole world. And people will be look at them like, don't they know that's too big of a prayer? And I'm thinking, who told you that? Like, whoever said that's too big of a prayer? Where does the Bible say pray small prayers to a big God? I want to urge us, we come with confidence, we come with shamelessness before a big God who can do all things. Second is we pray without ceasing. In verse 9 of Luke 11, Jesus says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus tells us to come not just with persistence, but to come with relentlessness. To pray without ceasing. And I want to encourage some of you this morning. You have a promise from the Father. You keep asking. And it's a prayer according to his will. He will answer you. You keep knocking on that door. And you seem saying, God, I need this. God, I want to see this done. God says, it will be open to you. You keep seeking. And sometimes it looks like things get worse and you keep seeking and it seems like things get really worse you ever had that happen I have I'm like it was going better before I started praying about it but God says you keep asking and you keep seeking and you keep knocking and you don't stop and I will answer you right this is our confidence if we're honest every single one of us has probably had something in our life that we prayed it didn't happen and we gave up and Jesus, I just imagine it's like he's grabbing us by the shoulder saying, don't you quit praying. Don't you give up. Don't you lose heart. Don't you get discouraged. God, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for you. I love in Luke chapter 18, and Jesus tells almost this exact same parable from earlier. And he says, I tell you this parable that you might pray at all times and not lose heart. If we're honest, every single one of us naturally loses heart. We get discouraged. We get sidetracked. We pray for something for so long, and finally, we think it's just impossible. I want to encourage you this morning. Not from me. If I'm making this up, then discredit, but it's from the word of God that you would pray and pray and pray. When you can't pray anymore, then you'd say, God, you pray for me now. I don't have any strength left to pray. And when you think it looks hopeless, you pray and you pray and you pray. And when it looks like it's getting worse, you pray and you pray without ceasing, and you pray because I can make you a promise. Your Father in heaven hears from you. And I want to encourage us 
this kind of prayer, it's not passive as the worship team comes up. This is an active kind of prayer. And it's a prayer that takes discipline. And I think discipline, not like disciplining a child, but discipline like personal discipline. I think this can be a word in the church we can be scared of. Like, oh, if it has the word discipline, it's not real. But the kind of prayer Jesus is talking about, it doesn't just happen by accident right? It doesn't just happen by proxy. It takes just a daily and asking and asking and asking, a seeking and seeking and seeking, a knocking and knocking and knocking. But there's something different. The fact that we know that we serve a father who loves us. It's not like we're trying to twist God's arm and get him to do something he doesn't want to do. It's not like we have an angry father in heaven who we have to convince him to love us. He loves you deeply. So why can we pray and not lose heart? Because when I'm praying, I know the father I'm asking. I know the love that he has for me. I know the care that he has for me. I want to urge us that we must be disciplined in our prayers. Because if we're not disciplined in our prayer, no one can pray for us and the praying will not get done. You know, this isn't in my notes, but I think about, I think it's Luke chapter 10, one chapter before this. And Jesus looks out over the multitude of people who didn't know him. Thousands and thousands of thousands of people separated from God forever. And it says he looks at them. And I'm so pragmatic. Like Jesus is going to make a plan, like go reach them and do this thing and do that thing. But do you know Jesus' first response? He said, pray, therefore to the Lord of the harvest, that he might send laborers in his harvest field. We're committed and devoted to the prayer. There's a discipline there to pray. I remember just two months ago when I was in India, I'm telling you a lot of India stories today, sorry. I remember we got up at like 4 a.m. or 4.30 a.m. to go to the riverside, and it's silent. But all you can hear echoing over this, there's millions and millions of people, echoing over the city is the Muslims chanting their prayer five times a day. I'm thinking, gee, geez, Willie, it's 4 a.m. and the Muslims are up praying their guts out. The first time of five times. And then the second the sun, literally, they're there ready. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Hindus who worship a false god. They're waiting. Young people, teenagers, by the thousands are at the, at the shoreline. And the second the sun broke over the, um, I don't know, the shore, they start lighting fires and smoke and they're singing songs, they're blowing shells and they're doing all these religions. And I think, okay, it's, it's five and the sun's coming up and the Hindus are already up praying. And the thought that just rocked my world was most Christians at home are sleeping. The Muslims are up praying. The Hindus are up seeking a false God. The Muslims are seeking a false God too. But I want to urge us, church, don't sleep away your prayer. This kind of prayer that Jesus talks about, it takes a discipline. It takes a saying, man, Jesus is calling. Like God has this amazing opportunity. I can come before him in prayer. But if you don't come and ask, who's going to ask for you? If you don't come and seek, who's going to seek for you? If you don't come and knock, who's going to knock for you? Because we really will devote ourselves to that which we love. You know, I love to run and I really enjoy exercise. So four or five days a week, I'm at the gym. We're at groups where people are at 5 a.m. or 4.45 a.m. Groups of non-Christians are there excited to run and excited to work out, right? And every time I go, I say, God, like I will not be more excited about running than I will be about praying. I'll get up earlier than I run to pray. Like I will not be more committed to this physical body than I will be to my spiritual relationship with you. I want to urge us, church, I know it's a bit radical, but I want to shake us up a bit that we must be disciplined in our prayer. That if we really believe God is calling us to pray, there will be sacrifice. There will be, I have to find a place, I have to find a time. We'll talk about that as we close. But I want to urge us, be disciplined. Pray like your life depends on it because it does. It does.
what would happen if you and I said, we'll be a people of prayer? Last but not least, we pray with confidence in our Father's love. You know, Jesus ends this whole discourse on prayer with a beautiful story. Lest you think, like I said, you gotta bang on heaven's door because God's so reluctant to answer. Or you think, I gotta just knock so long and ask and seek besides desperation to convince God I'm worthy of it. God says, which one of you dads, ordinary, normal guys, if your son or your daughter comes, says, hey dad, I'm hungry. Could you give me some bread? Which one of you? It's gonna give him a snake that's gonna bite him and kill him. He says, like, we get this in the natural. Even a really, really bad dad would never do that. In our, in our 21st century lingo, it's, you know, which one of you fathers, if your son comes and says, dad, could I have some In-N-Out burger? Thank you, Lord, for In-N-Out. Which one of you is gonna give him a snake? Or if they come and ask for bread, which one of you is gonna give him a scorpion? He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? When you pray, you know the feel of our prayer is I am so loved. I have a Father in heaven who loves me so deeply. And when I come to pray, He cares about me. The Bible says that we cast our cares and our anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for us. I think some fuel on the fire of your prayers. I have so much confidence in my Father's love. You know, some of you, maybe there are things you prayed for in the past and you've given up. Maybe you have prodigals that have walked away from God and you've just given up. And I want to encourage you, pray. Don't you give up. Because God loves you. He loves that person. And your prayer is fueled by the fact I'm so loved. And God is so willing to answer me. Maybe you have sickness in your body or somebody else. And you, you prayed in the past, but you've given up. The love of God compels us. Because I know I'm not trying to twist God's arm to do something he doesn't want to do. I'm so loved, and his love compels me to pray. Because the beauty of prayer is that God offers us himself. He says, I will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You know, this morning, maybe you came in with a broken heart. You just say, Johnny, that's great words up there, but I'm broken on the inside. You know what Jesus says? I'm not just going to comfort you for a moment. I'm not just going to give you a quick fix. I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit of God, who is the comforter, the 24-7 365 days a week and 366 on leap year, the comforter will be there to comfort your broken heart. You say, I need wisdom. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know what God says? I won't just give you an answer. Answers are easy, right? He says, I will give you the spirit of wisdom himself. I'll give you the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you. I love, my dad, Pastor Steve, says, we ask God for a map, and we just want to take the map and thanks, Lord, and go away. But God says, I will come down, and I'll be your guide, and I'll walk by with you step by step. What's the most beautiful thing about prayer? It's the fact that more than anything we get, more than any possession, we get a person. More than our need for things, our need for God is met, that we get God himself. Could you close your eyes, church? You know, this morning, I want to pray for all of us that God would just stir that fire to pray. But if you're in this place and you say, Johnny, today's my day to give my life to God. You know, every single week we have people that walk in this room that don't know Jesus or that have walked away from God. And we want to give an opportunity every week that you could come to know Jesus. Your Father in heaven loves you so much that he sent his only son to die so you could have life. And even this morning, you know what prayer is? It's a blood brought bought privilege for every single one of us. That because Jesus' blood has washed us and cleansed us, because when he died, he tore the veil in two, he made a way for us to come before our Father. And this morning, if you say, I want to give my life to God, 
I want to turn from my sins and trust in Jesus. Would you lift your hands? And we're going to pray for you. Lift your hand. Awesome. I see those hands. How amazing. Church, it's so incredible that every single week here at church, people give their life to Jesus. I see hands all over this place. Awesome. Can we pray together with all those people? Say, dear Jesus, thank you that you died so I could live. Thank you that you made a way for me to have eternal life. I turn from my sin and I trust in you. Save me now in the name of Jesus. Everybody said. Can we give a shout for all those people? Amen. Last thing, and I'm going to pray, or I'll let maybe RMC pray for you. I want to make it practical. They have five steps up there. You say, man, I want to take this word and not just feel challenged, but I want to do it. First thing, pick a place and a time to pray. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, go in your room. Find a secret place. Jesus has the places he'd pray. Find a place and a time. If you don't make space, space won't make itself. Even now, you think, okay, my place is that chair in my living room, or it's my bedroom, or it's my, my office, or it's out. I take a walk every morning. Make a plan. If you're not praying at all, start with five minutes a day. Start with 10 minutes. Start with something. If you're already praying, increase that time of prayer. I said, make a promise. Make a commitment. You know, if we just say, well, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get around to praying someday. It'll never happen. You make a promise that says, God, now it should be commitment, but I needed a P to fit in my alliteration. So <laughs> can we make a commitment and say, Lord, here's my goals. Help me do it, Lord. If it's starting with 15 minutes of prayer a day, make a promise. Find a partner. Find somebody to help keep you accountable. You know, I have guys in my life, one of them specifically. Some days I say, bro, tomorrow I got to be up at 4.45 a.m. And if I don't text you by 4.45 then I'm buying you a Starbucks that day. And I can tell you something, that accountability really helps. Is it, you know, super holy? No, but it helps me get out of bed sometimes. I don't feel like getting up. And then last but not least, um, find a posse, a prayer posse, which is just another funny P to say this. Don't just pray individually. The picture of the early church was they prayed as individuals, but they also prayed corporately as a people. I want to just personally invite you, maybe you're unaware of this, Monday mornings and Wednesday mornings at 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. You can come at any point, leave at any point. We have an hour of prayer. Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. We have an hour of prayer. And Wednesday evenings before service, we have prayer. I want to encourage you. What if you said, if one of those works in your life, and if one of those doesn't, then find people that could pray with you. To not just pray as an individual, but to pray as a believer. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you for this word. Father, I thank you that you would do a supernatural work inside of every single one of us. That, Lord, you would grip our hearts that we would be a people of prayer individually and corporately. Let that burn in our hearts today. In the name of Jesus, amen.